This program is brought to you by the Gin Society, www.ginsociety.com. Welcome to Lunch with Lee. This week on the show, Charlie Teo, the world-renowned neurosurgeon, Gavin Robertson, former Australian off-spinner, a good mate of mine, and the drummer in Six and Out. And Charlie Teo has just operated on Gavin. We'll be talking sport, music and business. It'll be another cracker episode of Lunch with Lee. Welcome to Lunch with Lee. On the show today is a bit of a special edition. Gavin Robertson, former Australian cricketer, four tests in the green and gold, mate. Your debut against India was four for 72 and 57, which I think is still probably one of the best debuts ever from a test cricketer. You're a radio host at Talking Sport 2SM. Um, you're one of my best mates, so welcome, Robbo. Shukriya, Danyavad, and thank you. <laughs> Great to see you, mate. Good man. And Charlie Tia, look... Mate, there's not often you can say you actually sit down and have lunch with a real-life hero, mate. I think you really are that. Paediatric neurosurgeon, a leader in your field for minimal invasive brain surgery. You also run your own fellowship program, which attracts around 600 applicants every year. And you've trained a lot of leading figures also in brain surgery, mate. So welcome to the show, Lunch with Lee. Lovely. Thank you. How are you going, Robbo? Firstly, maybe a little bit of background on how you and Charlie became mates. In the first place? I, I think it must be 20 years ago, something like that. Mm. And um, I remember Tucker saying to me, you know, you've you got to meet this guy. And I did. So, and Stephen is not a very big chatter mm-hmm. uh, about himself. But, I, yeah, I think he really – he looked at Charlie and saw someone that did brain surgery at, with the that win attitude like Stephen adopted halfway through mm. his cricket career where he had trouble in his first part of his cricket career. And once he really adopted it, to be, and he became really successful, Stephen did. And I think, you know, that's really what he saw in Charlie. And I never forget. The only time I – look, I'm – Stephen's never been in a blue in his life, and I, I've probably had 50, but I couldn't walk into Charlie's surgery when Stephen could. Mm. And Charlie, Charlie gave us that option years ago, and I couldn't handle it. <laughs> Stephen goes, I'm going. So, um, but, you know, I, the only thing Charlie doesn't do – we play in the same team. He just doesn't bat or bowl. He just fixes people and helps people. And the only thing is he's not fixing bones and he's not stitching up. Mm. He's cutting into your brain and it, only he can explain that. I remember once saying, how do you do it? <laughs> and that is one question you have to ask him, not me, because it's astonishing. So how, how do you do it, Charlie? That's a, that's a big <laughs> question. Well, it's kind of like uh, a sportsman, given that I'm speaking to two who have excelled in their field. It's, uh, I don't know, you have to be very focused. You have to know why you're there. You have to stay the course and not veer off. You have to have amazing confidence, but not arrogance. And that's a very fine line. Yeah, sure. And... uh, I guess the bottom line is you've got to treat people like you would want someone else to treat you, and that's how that's my sort of guiding sort of uh, principle. That you know, if I would want that done to me, then why wouldn't I do it to someone else? Mm. You know, if I wanted that last chance, if I wanted an aggressive approach to a nasty tumor, you know, surely that person would want it as well. Um, and Robert, was it late last year you got called Charlie up and said? 
you were having was, trouble brushing your teeth. Is that correct? May, May the sixth, I sent him a text message whilst I was on radio. Yep, and uh, saying when I clean my teeth, mate, I get this funny pain behind my left eye sometimes, once every two weeks or mm. twice a week. I don't yep. know for the last three, four, five months. I don't know. Is that weird? And he said, uh, call me. And I uh, called him. And um, the next day, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm at the Giants. He goes, well, come and see me. You know, in this really, n- not a nonchalant way, but just, you know, I thought, okay, okay, well, I'll get out of here. And I went and saw him. And he is a very, very busy man trying to save others. And uh, Lane, who runs part of his office, says, she took me downstairs. I'm in for an MRI. I'm out. I take the disc back up. He's flat out. Because he only works about 100 hours a week. And then um, <laughs> I had to go to Melbourne for the Giants. And I was in Melbourne and on my way to Richmond the day after the game to do some community work. And uh, normally Charlie would ring me and say, oh, hey, Robbo, it's Charlie. How are you going? And today, on this day, it was, hi, mate, it's your brain surgeon calling. In that way, I actually sort of took it lightly like, you know, I, <laughs> I know you're a brain surgeon. You don't have to yeah. promote it to me type of thing. Um, and he went, well, you know. Yeah, well, I will be today, sort of thing. Um, you know, you've got, you've got something. Uh, you actually said, got a tumor in the left hand side, size of a golf ball. Yes. Yep. Yep. And uh, I sort of panicked. My daughter took over the phone call, and I didn't take it very well. And we chit chatted and worked out that okay, let's do this today. And he said, go to the airport. Um, Steve and Lynette Wall will be there and sitting to pick you up and bring you to me and should be able to do it about 5 o'clock. So from 12 o'clock to 5 o'clock, I think I walked in at 10 to 5 at the hospital. We hugged 5.35. I was uh, having the surgery and um, made it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> it was a weird, uh, yeah, it was a weird day. And Charlie, knowing Robbo before that, does that make it harder or easier for you to operate on him? No, it actually is exactly the way I treat all my patients. I try and see them as a person. Yep. And when I do the preoperative consultation, probably only 5% of the time is talking about the actual disease itself and 95% of the time is learning about them as a person. Mm. So I think that's important, the way you treat your patients. You know, for example, I operated on Stan Zamanek and... Yep. If I hadn't known how important speech was to him, I would have been a whole lot more aggressive with the surgery, but I knew that that was paramount to his quality of life, and hence I could you know, modify my surgery according to the person. So the fact that I knew Robbo and had to operate on him uh, really wasn't any different to the way I operate on all my patients. I try and treat them as a member of my own family. It was one of the things I did think was that Oh, I'm, I remember walking towards you and it was like, oh, I'm going to the guy who goes for it. And that was, in a way, made me feel good. Mm. It wasn't like, oh, I'll see how we go. And I, we sort of said that when we – because that's the way we are as – the Australian cricket team was an okay cricket team for a while in the 60s or the 70s and a bit of the 80s. But the end of the 80s, 90s, 2000s, we became a let's go for it and leave it all out there team. And that's who my, my surgeon was. I'd rather – I think I said to Kathy, I don't care if I can't talk that well or I, there's some things I lose. If I can still be around my family and my kids and just around my friends, oh, that'll do me. 
I'm okay with that. And so. Charlie, the, the, the one thing I do a bit of research for for this interview um, on yourself. There's a lot of people saying that you, you give false hope, which I I, I don't think does false hope even exist. Like <laughs> it's a ridiculous comment, surely. It is. It's just all part of the the criticism of me. And when they can't find anything else to be critical of, they try and pick on something. But that whole concept of false hope is one of the things you should never actually bring up because hope is something that we all have. I mean, you wake up in the morning and you hope that you're going to be alive by the night. I mean, that's hope. Mm. And uh, so what is false hope? Well, false hope is, I think, what they were trying to say is that maybe I make false promises, which then gives Mm. them hope. But, uh, I mean, if that was the case, you wouldn't survive in the game. I mean, if, mm. if you kept telling patients, oh, listen, it's not going to be a problem, won't be any complications, and, you know, you're going to get complications, you're not going to survive in the business. So to have survived in the business for 30, you know, 35 years mm. doing high-risk surgery, you know, obviously I don't make false promises. I tell people the way it is, which may or may not give them hope. Mm. Uh, but it's really up to them and their approach to what I've had to say. I think it's imperative that you don't give false promises, that you're laid on the line, yep. you tell them how it is, and then it's up to them to, to make up their mind about how aggressive they want you to be with their cancer. One of the th- one of the things when you t- we were talking then, I remember Stephen saying to you, we were having a Chinese somewhere uh, feed, and Stephen said, how do you handle the big moments? And um, I, I remember just thinking... Well, what's he going to say? And I think, I don't know what age, Charlie basically committed to no alcohol, no coffee, no bad sort of, and if my hand is, I never forget this conversation, if my hand is still like in front of your, your face now, it looks still, but apparently it's got movement. Yep. Charlie's, his is the one in Australia that moves the least. <laughs> That's what you want. So you can't. I'm sure. And and I I think to be honest, I take my hat off to him because I don't know what age he committed, but it had to be an early age to be able to have this hand that can be not moving at all, mm. and it can be just go in. And I remember thinking, how can you see everything? And I remember saying to me once, and just fix me up here if I've got some of this wrong, but I can smell, I can feel, uh, and hear what I'm getting, of, which, which is brain tumour, as against brain. Yeah. And I, I've, I've never told you this, I've, and I don't give a stuff now. I would have a year ago. I remember Stephen and I for a week and a half just were flabbergasted. We spoke about that for, I reckon, two or three weeks. Couldn't oh, – oh, that's, the, that's the most enormous thing you've ever said. Yeah. It's – look, it's – what – how, how would you want your surgeon to walk into your operating room? Would you want him to be this unkempt, messy, inaccurate, non-trained, mm. alcoholic, unfit person who's going to just rush in and try and get as much out as he can before he sort of gets too tired? And mm. So I think it's your responsibility to your yeah. patients. If you really want to be the best in your game, it's your responsibility to be physically capable, mm. uh, well-trained, focused, compassionate, I think all those qualities are your responsibility. I mean, you know, you can't be a surgeon and offer the best to your patients unless you go in there with peak physical fitness, for example. There's no doubt you're a superstar. Let's go for a quick break and we'll see you all after that.
no secret, I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch With Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful Gin Journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. One of the things I get asked a lot now, having three kids, being at school, what makes a good young sportsman or a good young musician? What makes a good young neurosurgeon? (laughs) You know, I am blessed, I guess, that I don't have a tremor and I've got pretty steady hands and pretty dexterous, but you can teach a monkey to operate. So, you know, with that 10,000 hours, Mm. you can actually train someone who's physically or, Mm. or... Dexterity-wise, not so good to be reasonable. Yep. So it's not just your physical dexterity. Yep. So what I look for in a, in a surgeon is kindness and compassion and perseverance. Yeah. They're the two qualities that I think are most important. Because you think of it like this. If you weren't compassionate and you were operating on a difficult case and you kept getting complications, you would either upskill or you'd mm-hmm. refer that patient to someone Yep. Who could do it if you are kind and compassionate and treat your patients well? If you're not that person, then of course you're going to keep doing it and it doesn't bother you that you're hurting people and it doesn't bother you that your results aren't as good or you're not yes. getting all the tumour out. So that's incredibly important. And the second quality is perseverance or tenacity because, you know, I had a mentor who said to me, because I can remember wanting to go to a concert. And I said to him, I said, oh, Frank, I've got to go to this concert tonight. He goes, well, let's stop stop right there. You mean you're going to hurry things so you can get to the concert? You know, I mean, would you want your surgeon to hurry things to go to the concert? And it was a real lesson to me, like, you know, you've got to have absolute tenacity. You've got to be in there for the long haul. You, You can't be distracted. You can't be saying, oh, shit, I've got to get home to go to a party or go to a concert it's got to be total 100% focus 100% focus and absolute tenacity and you know that you're going to be there for the long haul even if it takes 20 hours you're going to be there for the long haul well I was going to say that because a test match can go for 30 hours have you done an operation around what's the highest well, longest time it was 26 hours 26 Jeez. hour operation yeah <laughs> that's a long Oh, and Robert, what is a young uh, or, or a parent listening in, dad of a, a young budding sports person, what advice would you give as a former Australian cricketer um, I to think, be successful? Yeah, I think uh, when you see parents hoping and hoping harder than the child, I think you've got to look at the child and go, do I see this, this child has the dream every day they're searching for and, and can't wait to climb the mountain? 
You know, it's like, and if they can bat all day and, and bowl all day, do what they want, and then and just as a father and a son go, okay, we're going to celebrate this because you endured and you got an outcome. And then you stop that day. Yep. And then the next day, start again. I really think that's life. I think it's like, how can it be search for an aim, win a goal, enjoy it, start again? And do you think balance is a big big part of that? Because oh, yeah. we, we obviously played in the band six and out together and you're a mm. fantastic drummer. <laughs> you were definitely the best musician in our band, <laughs> which wasn't bloody hard. Oh. But yeah. um, do you I, think balance is key too? I think balance is the primary thing that we're losing in the world because, uh, you know, at the moment, kids, uh, their balance is a telephone primarily and opinions instead of reading and, and getting interested in stuff other than themselves. And so, yeah, balance is probably the thing we need to focus on because it was something that was a part of the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. That was your routine and, and balance, you know, work, eating was lucky. Yep. Uh, getting any sort of education, work again, family, simplicities instead of, Things that are complicated. And um, we used to play the occasional ACDC song, but we didn't know we had a a bagpipe player in the room, Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) You still play the bagpipes? Uh, Yeah, I do. I don't play them well, but I I enjoy playing them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Jesus, my son said he wanted a pair of bagpipes for uh, Christmas. I might think twice. (laughs) So how long have you been playing for? Well, my father was an Anglophile and he insisted that I go to one of those GPS schools. So I went to Scots College. Yep. And uh, as part of Scots College, you can either join the band or join the cadets. And so I joined the band. And <laughs> yeah, so I've been playing since I was nine years old. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I wish I had known that. Yeah. yeah. We would have recorded It's a Long Way to It's a Long Way to Talk to Rock and Roll. I can play that. Yeah. No, I can play that. I reckon yeah. Six and Out might do that <laughs> at some stage. And I think you'll be in. Yeah, for sure. And, and Robbo, was there any moment in time when you're out in the sporting field or even playing drums, where you, you stood back and went, I've actually made it now? Well, I, yeah, I, I've been talking. I've been doing some stuff uh, for the fireys and farmers uh, with the Baggy Blues out yep. in country New South Wales. And um, so I tell them about the Parramatta Park thing and then I tell them about that I'd gotten through that, but then you still quit. You can quit. And so I was none for 52 on my debut, off 10 overs, and Mark Taylor said, no, nah, you're off. And for... Two and a half hours, I whinged to myself at fine leg, fine leg mid on, fine leg mid on. And then Tubby was said to me, Mark Taylor said, come back on, you're back on. And Steve Waugh ran down to me and it was like a friend going to, a little punch into the, grabbing my cap, a little punch into the chest with, let's not put up with this. Mm. Let's not quit. Let's, you wouldn't put up with this at home. If you were playing me and Mark, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be like this. So don't be like this with them. So I don't really like them, so we're going to go after them. And you're going to be bowling, mm-hmm. and we're going to go after them. So all of a sudden, you've got to remember when you're playing sport, it's, it's we. Yeah. Stop being you. It's we. It's like right now, we're talking as yep. a group. And, and that, that is, that's for me, when people say to me, oh, you know, you, you're going okay with your, after your brain surgery and your attitude. My attitude is... Uh, I'm looking forward to go forward. I don't know what it is, but so what? I mean, what's the use in going, oh, geez, I hope I've got two years, Charlie. I, oh, geez, I hope I can get to three, mate. You know, like, what is the use? What, what is the it's, – it's about keeping it simple. And, and I do everything that – you know, I've got 
Charlie Teo. I've got um, uh, Helen Wheeler, Dr. Michael Beck, who you and yes. I play cricket against. Yep. Th- you know, three people. Whatever they tell me to do, I do. Trust the people who are smart in your life. Mm-hmm. Do what you learn from and continue it and create a routine. And, and then you, I think you can make successful lives out of having good, solid routines like that. Has it changed your outlook on life? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I don't care about a lot of things. I don't worry about mm. incidentals. I think that one of the biggest things, I've got a 30-year-old, 26 and 23. Yep. And to the people who've got 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds and 18-year-olds, these phones and public opinion, uh, social media, all this stuff, give me a break. <laughs> the greatest thing we are having right now is this coronavirus thing, yeah. which is going to teach my young kids and, and a lot of young kids and young people in the world or people in general around the 30, 40, even 50 age group, what a Great Depression could look like yeah. and how do you get through and yep. what's the simplest thing we can do today? Are we going to eat together? I'm going to read a book today. I'm going to have a two-hour sleep. I'm going to do a walk on my own. I'm just going to have simple things. We are far too complicated mm. as a world. So I've learned a lot. And in a way, I'm not bagging myself or or thinking, oh, it shouldn't have happened to me. Yep. I, I, I think, bugger it, it should have happened to me. I needed to learn some things. Mm. And it did. And I was lucky I had a mate there to help. And he's pretty bloody good. Mm. He doesn't average 50 at test level. He averages about 88, nearly 99, close to 100 in my mind. So just go for it. You know what I mean? Gotcha. And so in sport, um, you have a bad day in cricket and you you go home and you might have a a cold beer and Mm. you have a good night's sleep. Well, what happens when you have a bad day in the surgery, Charlie? How how, how how have you managed to and learned to cope with that? Well, it is very bad, firstly. Yeah. It's, uh, it knocks you for a six, for sure. sure. Uh, so this is the way I cope with it. I, I cope with it by knowing that I've tried my hardest. Yep. And I feel so sorry for those doctors or surgeons who haven't tried their hardest and get a bad complication. If you were rushing, mm. if you were making the wrong decisions about surgery, making it for financial reasons, making it for ego reasons, making it to try and build up your practice... Uh, you know, for whatever reason, if you made the decision to operate for the wrong reasons, in other words, it wasn't in the patient's best interest, but it was in your best interest, or if you did the surgery with carelessness or you're rushing it and you got a bad outcome, I don't know how those people live with themselves because that's how I cope. I cope by saying, listen, I, I did it for the right reasons. I would have done the same thing again. I was trying my hardest. I treated that person like I would my own child. Uh, I wasn't rushing things. I was physically fit for the operation. I was concentrating. I was in peak uh, condition, and it still went to shit. Yeah. And and so I can sit back and honestly say, well, I tried my hardest. Yeah. yeah. But you're right. It it when you have a bad yeah. outcome with a patient, oh my god, it's just terrible. Oh yeah. And how, how do you get in the zone just before you get to surgery? Is it? Yeah, is, is it hours of build-up? No, no, no. It used to be hours of build-up where I'd take the x-rays home at night the night before and right. go through them and sort of uh, go through the operation in my mind. But with years and years of experience, I still get in the zone, but it takes me less time now. Yep, and sure, everyone yeah. knows not to op- interfere or, or interrupt me. So I sit in the corner of the operating room. I look at the x-rays. I just go through the operation in my mind, get in the zone. And, and for example, some 
parents or relatives want to speak to me before the operation and my staff know not to not to interrupt me because you know I don't want to I don't want someone coming up and saying oh can you please treat my daughter like yeah. you know treat my daughter well of course I'm going to treat your daughter well so you know if 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 my if the families of the patients have any doubts the day of surgery or the day before surgery I just tell them to cancel the operation and let's go back to the room and sit down and nut it out again but uh because I don't like being uh uh, distracted sure. before the operation. Sure. Yeah, the thing I, I haven't said to you in the in the ten months since you op, but um, I just before as I was going in to get the anaesthetic, I I remember thinking, I I had comfort in knowing that you that you go for it. He's going to, you know, if whatever's there is going to get. But the thing about it is, is I can't stop thinking. I've been thinking about it a lot actually. That there's that little funny angle little crevice that's got tumour there. And you said something to us years ago about almost closing your eyes and focusing and you could feel it and you would get it. Can you recall one of those? Where oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I was taught by a really famous neurosurgeon called Yazhigil, Turkish guy who worked in America. And he was a master of glioma surgery, glioma being the primary brain tumour yep. that Gav uh, yep. had. Uh, and he was the one that had silence in his operating room and he would use all his senses to try and pick that little bit in the in the corner. Wow. And so when people ask me how I do it or why can you take out brain tumours that other people can't take out, you know, we've tried writing book chapters and writing papers and giving lectures, but really it's... It's a feel. It's a real sort of uh, innate ability. You, you, you've got to listen to it as it goes up the sucker. You've got to look at it under the microscope. You've got to feel it, feel if it's, the texture's any different. Wow. And uh, so you use all your senses to try and ascertain that, that fine line between normal and abnormal because the worst thing about the brain is, of course, it's unforgiving. And if you, if you take the resection a millimetre beyond the margin, then you can you're cutting into normal brain. And in other words, you could be taking out someone's arm or their leg or their sight or even their life by just going a little bit too far. Yeah. Uh, so I know that I'm, in looking at my uh, scans, which I've been doing a lot, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dr. Sure. Back, but so uh, Charlie took me to 1.25 mil away from my speaking. Speech area, yeah. The unfortunate thing about Gav's tumour was right in the middle of his speech area. Right. And that means if you go yeah, just a millimetre and a half too far, you're going to take out someone's ability to communicate. I mean, it's a, it's a huge thing. And I like doing what we call a super resection, where you sometimes take out the tumour, plus you take out a bit of normal brain around mm -hmm. it, yeah. but you can't in some parts of the brain. So yep. the worst thing about Robbo's tumour was it was right in this very sensitive, eloquent mm. part of his brain. Mm. And this might be a, a silly question, but... So as an athlete, you train and you can, you do weights and you can build your muscles up. Do all brains look the same from the inside? Have you are there patterns of different sports people have certain brains and positions, <laughs> or is it all very similar? Uh, <laughs> sports people have smaller brains. Is that what you're saying, Shane? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was alluding to. We do. Yeah. Well, women have smaller brains. Do they? Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. The average weight of a male brain is one point five kilograms. The average weight of a female brain is one point two kilograms. Oh. But as you know, women are smarter than men, yes. so it's got nothing to do with the size. No. In fact, in fact, it's how you use your brain. Mm. And you know the old saying where you only use about 10% of your brain? It's probably not so far right. from the truth. Uh, there's huge parts of the brain that we are 
incapable of really ascertaining what it does and you can lop out, you can actually cut out parts of those brain and the patient can be completely normal. So, yeah, there are parts of the brain that uh, don't... So, well, we don't think they're being used, but of course they are being used. But, you know, I mean, you, you've got enough uh, compromise to, to make up for that. I, I think he's hit the nail on the head here. So one of the primary things I went home with, so I meditate, eat well, but I meditate with regard to I count and I don't use the word and, one and, I use one heel, two heel, three heel. So I'm saying, I using Charlie's thoughts around, I'm going to use that other 90% to focus and make it heal. Mm-hmm. It sounds stupid, but as I think to myself, no, so what? It's absolutely not stupid. And I'm going to make it come back together. And It is absolutely not stupid. The power of the brain is is something that we haven't even quite grasped yet. It's beyond our imagination even. It's a powerful, powerful tool that we have never really locked into and, and utilised maximally. You know, I always give the example of... a study that they did many years ago which looked, which looked at the efficacy of one blood thinning agent versus aspirin. Mm. But to be a proper trial, you have to have this sort of placebo group. Yep. Yeah. So one group was taking aspirin, another group was taking this blood thinner, and another group was taking a sugar tablet. And the most surprising thing that came out of the paper, not that the, the two agents were similar, but it came out and showed that the people taking a sugar tablet can thin their blood. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? So, and there are studies also to show that people can treat cancer and boost their immune system and depress their immune system by the way they think. Sure. And so that placebo effect, the power of the brain is something that's totally untapped. Mm. So please don't think that saying one heel, two heel is nothing. It could be the reason why you're doing so well. And mm. it's something that we need to really listen to people like you and, and we need to identify that group of patients who do better than you expect and, and think, you know, what are they doing differently? And one of the things they do differently is exactly what Robbo's done. He's basically presumed he's cured Yep. and he hasn't focused on dying. He's actually focused on living. And mm. we've, we've actually seen patients who go back to work after cancer and get back to living again will live longer. They actually do live longer. So that's a very Amazing. important, powerful tool that we have not, never really tapped into. Could you give three tips for brain health, better brain health? Three basic tips we could all do on a day-to-day basis? Well, my disclaimer is I'm not no. not an expert on brain health. I'm yep. an expert on brain disease. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so, okay, so the first thing is diet. Yes. But, you know, that's not revolutionary. It was revolutionary maybe... 20, 30 years ago to say that diet influences disease because we never used to think that. But most scientists now agree that what you eat is what you are. You know, yep. So it's very important what you take in. Yeah. And the whole concept of the importance of the microbiome, for example, mm-hmm. you know, fecal transplantation, you know, people used to laugh about that 20, 30 years ago. And now it's a, well, not standard, but it's certainly a well-recognized treatment of autoimmune diseases and other, and other type of uh, diseases. Changing the gut flora. Sure. Okay, so what you eat is important. Yep. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, again, no no surprise, exercise has been shown to improve brain health, memory, circulation to certain parts of the brain, antioxidants and omega-3s and free radical scavengers that, again, reduce the amount of damage the brain has to it on a daily basis. So exercise, and that's aerobic exercise, 
at least three times a week, yep. a good diet, and then the other one that's been proven is sleep. Yeah. I don't like bringing that up because I don't sleep and, and, you know, I sleep about three or four hours a night and I think I'm pretty good and pretty healthy, but no, uh, that's wrong. Every study, again, has shown the importance of sleep in boosting your immune system, uh, good brain health. And I think you know yourself, when you don't get a good night's sleep, you can hardly get the words out. That's right. And yeah. so it is important the it way is. the brain. I, I simply eat uh, fruit, vegetables, alkaline water, mineral water, or I don't mind this, um, sparkling water, but I don't eat, I don't have the normal water. And um, I sleep at least an hour a day, um, every day. And I also, I generally have eight or nine hours every night. I have cold showers. Um <laughs> You've been in us for years. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, when I got out of the operation, um, I went up to the Gold Coast. And it, was, it was cold. And the, I'd walk in the morning for – I was doing five or 600 metres, 700 metres. I was really stoked. That was eight weeks after, and I thought, I'm going to get in that water. And I used to try and get under the water 20 times and out and walk back, go to sleep for four hours. So, yeah, I'm, I, I think that um, – the biggest worry for me was reading about how we, how we actually create and build our chooks and cattle and everything these days, yeah. as against the 1920s. That frightened the hell out of me. Sorry, but just frightened me. You know, <laughs> I, I like when they in the when my great grandfather had them sitting in, down the bottom and pull one up and cut them open and we'll eat that. But phew, they make them grow a lot quicker now. <laughs> so I don't want too much to do with that. Just simple stuff. Well, that's good. Well, well, on that note, I think we'll um, we'll wrap it up. I want to thank both of you for coming on the show. I, I wanted to just bring one last thing up sure. just about um, people. I was asked a question uh, on my radio show about uh, about Charlie and, and about brain cancer. And um, Graham Hughes said to me, blah, 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 you know, hey, how are you going? Because brain cancer only gets a, a little bit of help. Mm. But if it was your breast rubbo... <laughs> Well, geez, you know, 85% is, is funded by whatever. And what I'm really saying is that, um, and I made a few crazy comments, which I won't bring up here, but in seeing that I'd seen a lot of scans of my brain, but I hadn't seen that many of breasts. Mm. But my point is that the world's changing now because of phones and social media and computers and speed around the brain. Brain cancer's grown in the last, whatever, 10, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, let's look at brain cancer and Charlie's foundation and start thinking, what if it's one of, do I need to know a bit about this? How can I help this? I'm going to have one of my family somewhere will be connected to this. Mm. And you can tell us a bit about that. Well, look, yeah, it's it's a bit of a plug, but the plug is that unfortunately there aren't too many voices out there yelling about brain cancer. Mm. Many other cancers have their advocates because they survive it. They do. And yeah. uh, so they yep. then become great advocates, you know, but no one survives brain cancer uh, for long enough to become an advocate. So we, we need to get the message out there that it is a terrible cancer. It kills young people, it kills more children in Australia than any other cancer. Horrible, and in fact, yeah. it kills more children than any other disease, mm. wow. not only in Australia, but all developed countries. Yeah. So it has a huge impact on society and yet it's poorly funded. And it's poorly funded because people will adopt a very nihilistic approach to it. Oh, you know, they're going to die anyway, so why would we do research? But no, that's terrible. It's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy if we do that. So, yeah, we. I would love to put a plug in for people with brain cancer. 100%. Yeah. And like we said before, let's imagine. Imagine if we can start beating it, changing those figures. That's it. And 
part of the um, Lunch with Lee program, we're looking at um, with Spartan Sports launching the Spartan Foundation to donate money back to men's health charities. Yeah, and we'll definitely be doing it for the for brain cancer on this particular note. So, but once again, guys, thank you, Charlie. Thank you for looking after my mate here. No worries. He's a uh, he's one of the he's one of the greats. Yeah. Well, if we put it this way, if you're a, if you're a, a board member of a cricket fraternity and you're looking for a captain and someone who can open the bat and they they're, they're opening the bat facing the new ball, Malcolm Marshall and Kirtley Ambrose, I'm going to pick Charlie Tia. <laughs> well, that's it for lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to Charlie Tia and Gavin Robertson. I'd like to thank Hilton Headley for providing a delicious lunch. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, the Gin Society and Spartan Sports. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Do us a favour, hit five stars while you're there. And if you're passionate, leave a review. Next week we'll be chatting to George Gregan, the former Wallaby captain, Gus Wallen from Triple M and Steve Balby from Noiseworks. Join us then as we talk about sport, music and business for another Cracker episode on Lunch with Lee. Summer.